You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, hey, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working towards making the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. We're here to call out religious BS and look for better ways forward. So if you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of... Sarcasm. And also a little bit of this... Then you've come to the right place. Welcome home! On today's show, we're going to be talking about HR1. The For the People Act. The Voting Act. What does that have to do with Christianity? You may say, Stuart. Well, <laughs> that's what we've got an hour today. We'll be diving into that. But before we hop fully into the snark, we've got a few quick little bits of housekeeping to go over. This broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, we're there and we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if you like the show, hey, make sure to share it. Subscribe. And if you're feeling particularly generous, drop a review over on Apple Podcasts too. It helps to get the word out about the show. And I appreciate each and every one of them. And if you want to interact more with the show, you can find the Snarky Faith page on Facebook. Or drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And there's even a snarky hotline that if you want to leave a message, you'll probably end up on the air. The number is 919-525-1570. That's 919-525-1570. Well, can I just go ahead and start the show by getting a little something off my chest? Something I've kind of been percolating and thinking about recently. It's, It's something I've worked really hard on to articulate exactly correctly. And it kind of just goes like this. Fuck Dave Ramsey. I mean, I'm actually serious. Fuck Dave Ramsey. I mean, come on. Somebody needed to say it. I mean, it's not like he was on my I love list ever. But but really, he's been on a tear lately. I mean, I'm not even talking about his kind of like smug, self-effacing nature where he just talks down to people that are in financial situations while he makes money off them. <laughs> We're not even talking about that. I'm not even going to really talk about how, what was it, like three weeks ago where he had said like, oh, uh, if 600 or a $1,400 stimulus check changes your life, you're pretty much screwed anyways. So thanks, rich guy. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, that's what people need to hear right now. Love it. Love it. No, that's not even what I'm getting into today. No, this, this, continuing on in the midst of the pandemic, Christian finance guru Dave Ramsey is now endorsing Tennessee legislation that would ban the mask mandate as discriminatory. 
He went on to say, so many fear the government more than the actual virus. Optics instead of reality. That's ridiculous. He also went on to call people wussies who wear masks. And this guy is a grown-ass man. He's an adult, and we're still playing these stupid, childish games. Wear a mask, be kind to others around you when you have a chance to get vaccinated and we can be done with this crap. That's it. That's it. This isn't a political thing. Wearing a mask isn't even political. You want to make it political? Let's talk about Dave Ramsey, Christian financial guru. You want to talk about that? The Dave Ramsey that has required his almost 1,000 employees to continue to work in the office despite COVID happening? What? Yes? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, Ramsey Solutions also also fired employees whose spouses questioned the company's policy and told employees that they should leave if they don't trust the company leaders. Ramsey Solutions has also been accused of violating anti-discrimination laws after a pregnant employee was fired because she was not married. Ha, ha, ha. It just sounds so Christian to me. Sounds so Christian coming out of his mouth. That, you know, he's saying that his company's not going to be ruled by fear. We're going to be ruled by money, like any good Christian should. As long as you're part of the Christian industrial complex. Yeah, so I say it again, fuck Dave Ramsey. So, yep, 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 that's how I'm starting off the show already. Already a little salty, already feeling a little saucy and spicy. That's where we're going this hour. Because you know what? You know what? I've, I've had it. I, I've just, I've had it with a lot of these folks. Yeah, I have probably had it before on the show before, but this week I, I've got, I've got no tolerance. I've got no tolerance for this silly BS. This is all just a bunch of like silly BS that distracts Christians from what they're supposed to be doing anyways. Because remember Dave Ramsey, his call in life, his call from the Lord is to just make money off Christians. So yes, yes, yes. That's why he cares about this mask mandate. He wants it off. He wants to go back to making money. He doesn't want to have to care about his employees as every good Christian business leader should because Jesus told that. That's how he said to run the business. You know how else Jesus told us? Jesus commanded us that we should also care about Eurovision. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Eurovision matters. What the hell are you even talking about, Stuart? I don't even know, but I will put words together and make sentences from this article in The Guardian. That is informing us. FYI, folks, we should not feel very good this year about the Eurovision contest, right? The Orthodox Church of Cyprus is calling for the withdrawal of their country's controversial entry into the Eurovision Song Contest entitled El Diablo. Because we know what that means in Cyprus. Or in Spanish. Because they're worried that it's making a mockery of the country's moral foundations by advocating our surrender to the devil and promoting his worship through a song in... The Eurovision contest. Yes. Yes. Fuck the Orthodox Church of Cyprus. I said it. And guess what, Orthodox Church in Cyprus? With you and your funny beards and weird head garments and coverings you've got there, the Middle Ages called. They want their style back. (laughs) No, really what I want is Jesus called. He wants you to do church things like going and helping people. 
not getting caught up in a song in Eurovision that's going to ruin all of Cyprus. All the glory of Cyprus. Uh, that was, yeah. Sorry, I'm not getting into Cyprus shaming, but Cyprus, you know, kind of kind of hedge your bets for how like amazing you think things should be because you're Cyprus. I mean, it's awesome, but you're Cyprus. You're a tiny island nation. Your entire population is un- under 900,000 people. I mean, if you're really worried about the Eurovision contest, there are larger countries that probably have a lot more to pull from in order to get their best up there. So really just the fact that people are talking about you, Cyprus, just be excited. Don't be a prima donna. Come on. Come on, church. Get behind your El Diablo folks and... I mean, the American church got behind, like, our version of El Diablo, like, Señor Naranja. We sold our souls. You can, too. It's just that easy. I mean, The Apprentice, Eurovision, it's all kind of reality TV trash. So come on, Cyprus. Get with it. Get with it. 2021 now, Cyprus. Come on. You're embarrassing us, Cyprus. Stop it. Stop it. I won't even mention that... On the old coinage, the old money of Cyprus, they featured a ram. And for history in that region, they would put their leaders and the things that they would worship on their money, much like a ram. And in the same way, like Dave Ramsey shows us exactly kind of where Christianity's worth is. It's in love of money. And no, in any real... (laughs) In any real sense, there's no way to like make these completely make sense. I'm playing around with this. Sure, Dave Ramsey's an asshole. The church in Cyprus is being assholes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, great segue for what Stuart's mad about. And no, this isn't just me here to air my grievances to you. No, it, it just continues to be my observations and being able to find how the church is absolutely missing the mark. Want one more before we even hop into the crazier stuff? Yes, you do, because you're listening here. I was looking, I was looking, I was looking for stuff to kind of dig into deeper this week, and I found my stuff, but along the road, I also found some of these choice nuggets, and this comes from, like, the voices sections over on ChristianPost.com, and this is a op-ed called Understanding the Six Seasons of Tests and Temptations, right? So before I was tired of Christian BS that is totally off focus. And this here we're going to hop into like I'm, I'm, I'm tired of Christian BS that is meaningless. Like it sounds deep. It sounds interesting, but is absolutely hollow and meaningless. You want to know what I'm getting after? Good. So Joseph Matera, who is this contributor as you should with these six seasons of tests and temptations. So he's going to give us, I'm only going to give you the highlights here because you're going to, well, I'll paint the picture. Number one. All right. These are things he's learned. Tests come before a great assignment. Number two, tests might come after a completed assignment. Oh, so you could have tests before and after. Okay. Okay. Joseph, (laughs) let's not just make this work for any situation. Oh, number three, tests come in between a prophetic word and its fulfillment. Oh, so tests can come anytime. Sounds spiritual, but tests can come at a time when tests are expected or when tests are not even expected. What is this? This is this, this isn't, this is, again, this is not like a, a decent kind of faith. This is ridiculousness. This is like, this is, this is just, it's fortune cookie nonsense sold as Christian devotional nonsense. 
but at least you know where we're coming from here. So tests could happen, right? That's where he's getting at. All right, but the second half, we're we're done with tests, folks. Number four, temptation comes when you're at your weakest point. Number five, temptation comes when you're bored. So wait, is it when I'm at my weakest point or when I'm bored? Or does temptation come when I'm being tempted? But this will probably fix it all for everyone. Number six, temptation comes when you lose your primary focus. So going back to this, trials happen and temptation. End of story. See, this, this, is, this is the kind of like just overly like spiritualized, like frothy gobbledygook that doesn't help anybody. We either get into like the Dave Ramsey BS or, or the church in Cyprus trying to control all this other kind of stuff about, about Christianity. Oh, no, then we get into this other stuff that's like the pseudo-spiritual stuff. Oh, then we can talk about things, and it kind of makes us feel good. But what are we left with? Temptation. Trials. They're part of the Christian walk. So suck it up, buddy, and enjoy it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what that gives anybody besides life's hard. God's there, but life is still hard. That should be the most Christian devotionals right there. It's not easy. Find friends that you can trust. Figure out who the a-holes are in your life that are like pious and religious and make sure that you kind of just make sure you're not around them. And the people that care about you, that, that want to invest in you and love in you and see you do better, hey, kind of work with those folks more. If there's people that are hurting in your community, hey, go after those. We should work for there. But it, see, see, that's what I want to talk about. We're going to be dancing around uh, this hour, really talking about what was Jesus's main idea? What was his thesis? Spoiler alert, it involves loving people. Yes, yes. If has anything that we've spoken about so far on the show today involved us being sacrificial and going out and loving others? No, we haven't. But Christians really like to get sidetracked because it is part. I feel like that's a spiritual. I really do. I feel like that is a, as, it's a spiritual practice of a lot of Christianity is, is making sure that you are concerned with things that don't really matter so that you are so concerned with those things that don't matter that you don't get involved in things that really do matter. Because getting involved with things that do matter cost of us. We don't like that. So we should really kind of all turn into spiritual Karens and just find reasons to talk to the manager. Because that's what Christianity has become. All hail crucified Karen on her cross. She had to wait five minutes and it was inconvenient. Hmm. From Christ to Karen. Oof. Did not expect us to go quite there today, but that is really where we're after. So if the goal today is getting us back to the ways of Jesus, it looks like we've got to go through the valley of the shadow of death before we get there. Oh, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be hard. You've made it so far. Strengthen up. Gird your loins. Here we go into the choicest cuts of Christian nuts, the worst of Christianity, the Christian crazy of the week. Here we go. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. I didn't want to talk about him. I didn't want to do it. I tried not to. I ignored it last week, but it keeps coming back. All right. All right. 
We've got to talk about this because it is going to kind of fit into the overall narrative of what we're going through today. You may have seen this out there. There's a Baptist preacher in Missouri that is getting some backlash because he was preaching completely misogynistic crap. Well, misogynistic crap about women's appearances. I could explain it, but let me go ahead and just let him dig his own grave. Why is it so many times that women, after they get married, let themselves go? Why is it? Why do they do that? Here's how way too many women are. I got him now. The chase is over. Hey, that's where you're wrong. The chase ain't never over. The chase ain't never over. And by God, if he don't love me the way I look now, he ought to look at his own spare tire in the mirror. Now look, I'm not saying every woman can be the epic, the epic trophy wife of all time, like Melania Trump. I'm not saying that at all. Now, most women can't be trophy wives, but you, you know, like her, maybe you're maybe a participation trophy. I don't know, but all I can say is, not everybody looks like that. Amen. No, no, no. Don't anyone amen that. No amens, no attaboys, no high fives, no sly winks, nothing, nothing, nothing for this guy. Bester Stewart, Alan Clark. You don't spell your name like mine, but still, a disgrace, a disgrace, a disgrace. I could let the clip playing. He continues on. He doubles down. He makes it worse. He asks for more amens. But that still doesn't detract from the fact that I'm not going to talk about that he's calling out women's appearances in the church where he's a middle-aged, overweight man. We're not going to talk about that. No, no, no. We're not going to talk about that. You know what? He's a Baptist pastor and... His sermon was 22 minutes. Now we could talk about that. We should like Baptist shame him up and down. A Baptist pastor that only preaches for 22 minutes. <laughs> I mean, what is he, a prepubescent boy? <laughs> what kind of child preaches for 22 minutes in a Baptist church? <laughs> I'm barely even working up a sweat. <laughs> I mean, really, you're just hitting your prime at an hour in a Baptist sermon. 22 minutes, this, this is amateur hour. And sadly, we don't have a really good resolution to this whole thing besides, like, the General Baptist Convention uh, in their state had said, like, hmm, we don't like what he's saying. And then the church said, he's going on a little bit of a, a break. He's taking a leave of absence, which is kind of like white man's prison where you still get paid, no consequences happen, and you get vacation that's not real vacation, but it's really vacation. Which I guess is pretty much like most white-collar prisons. Vacation. Oh, man, I should become a Baptist pastor. I've done that before. I could probably do it again. And if I'm, like, misogynistic and completely culturally irrelevant and not even markedly biblically literate at all, I could be successful. Someday I could even be like, Stephen Furtick. Ah, dream big, dream big, and take steroids. I mean, speaking of dreaming big, you guys know me. I mean, you know me that I, like, I mean, being a Christian school and all, but mainly I'm, I'm really just focused on heaven because 
heaven's like the best, like one of the best things I could ever think of. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'll be nice now, but I'm really doing this because it's going to pay off. I mean, you know, I did all the extracurriculars in high school. So now I'm kind of doing like my spiritual extracurriculars because heaven, heaven's where it's at, man. Uh, good people get in, bad people stay out. Right. And in heaven, did you know what? What? We get to work. Really? Tell me more, Robert Jeffress. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which was a really long segue into that little weasel nut, Robert Jeffress, speaking weirdly about heaven. And see if you can spot when it gets really weird. I mean, it's relative when I say weird because you have Robert Jeffress, who's like a Baptist pastor, and he's on the Jim Baker show, shilling his own stuff, which typically in the past, Baptist pastors would look down on televangelists and be like, ah, they're crooks, and ah, yeah. But now, man, they're all just grifters and buddies, and and we have Donald Trump to thank for this. He's taught all of them so much, so much on how to rip people off. But either way, here's Robert Jefferson heaven. Or his version of it. We're also going to work in heaven. Now, that may even sound more like hell to some people, you know, working in heaven. <laughs> it really sounds like he's being overtly racist when he's saying that some people are lazy. <laughs> That's sarcastic laughter. But remember, God created us to be workers. Work was a gift from God before the fall of Adam and Eve. God meant for us to find fulfillment in our work. He's a worker. He created us to be workers. But in heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, all of the things that drain the joy out of our work, bodies that grow tired, strained relationships, government regulations, all those things will be removed. Did you just say no government regulation in heaven? We're finally free, suckers. No regulation. God is just going to make us work all hours for no pay because God has just been waiting for us to get to heaven to get our sorry asses to work. This whole religion thing was just a Ponzi scheme to get us to work for God. That's actually really a bad reading of what he's getting after here. I'm not saying that God didn't create work to be fulfilling for us, but also the idea that the gods created us simply just as workers on this earth. That's actually a very pagan Mesopotamian idea of things that really, if you know how to read the Old Testament correctly, you can see, especially in Genesis, how that is a huge polemic, a uh, critique, a pushback, a satire against the common culture of the time. So the idea that Robert Jeffress sees heaven as a place where he's like, oh, Lord, we're going to have mansions and we can let all of them people, those people that have color on the skin, they can run our heaven plantations. It'll just be like the glory times before the fall of man. And since I'm a man of the South, like Robert Jeffress, that really just means before the Civil War, because it was better back then, before the Civil War. <laughs> You're listening to Snarky Faith. This is a show we're being horribly droll and sarcastic right now. Do not take anything that I'm saying realistically, because, yeah, sarcasm. But do you know who's not operating... Out of sarcasm. Robert Jeffress, who is laying out a really, really weird, weird, weird view of heaven. Because that really makes sense to him. That would be his heaven. That would be his heaven. And it totally makes sense. So, so, I'm eager to hop in on what we're going to be talking about today. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I've got two 
more crazies and the Christian crazy. One of them will stay. One of them will be available post-credits at the end, at the end, at the end. So if you're not listening over terrestrial radio and you're listening over podcasts, hang on. We'll be at the end. Kind of like a Marvel, like, end scene, credit scene thing that's going to tell you about the next movie, but it's really not. It's just more Christian crazy that we're just shoving on the end. So not to oversell it. We're not kind of doing any kind of a Harold Kuhneman vision, but Harold Kuhneman will be at the end because he's a righteous idiot. And since we're speaking about voting rights today, I thought, I thought we should actually kind of hear from the other side before we really even get into why should voting rights even be a conversation within Christianity? One reason I shall give you without even really having to explain it is listening to the insane ramblings of Pastor Shane Vaughn as he is telling his flocks to prepare the way for something that sounds, I don't know, a little sacrilegious, a little heretical. I don't know. I, you know, you know, you know, dear listeners, you've listened to the show long enough where I believe in you. I believe you're going to be able to follow this and see where it goes from being, well, maybe to what? It's just like that. We have got to develop a strategy for the next four years so that Donald Trump can do what he said he was going to do yesterday. We're going to get to CPAC in a moment. We've got to prepare the way for him to return. It reminded me. It's going to be the time where you're going to say, he's not going to do that. He's not really going to do that, is he? He's not going where I think he's going to go. Yeah, he is. It reminded me of a man in the Bible by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist the Bible said that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare for the way of the Lord. In other words, the Lord was soon to come, and John's job was to prepare the way for his coming. Well, ladies and gentlemen, much like John the Baptist, we must prepare the way. Of who? To make straight the crooked paths in America in our election system. And we must prepare for the return of Donald Trump. Ah, there it is. Woohoo! The Messiah. That's it, boys and girls. You heard it. You heard it. Christianity's got a new Jesus. And as we heard earlier, apparently he's got the trophy wife of all trophy wives. Because the best way to do that is you just keep going through wives until you hit that right trophy wife. You know what? He still may have another one. <laughs> I hope he will be best. So last week on the show, we talked with artist similar and also had a discussion about the Equal Rights Act. And we talked about how many different uh, churches and Christian organizations and speakers were, were afraid of it because they were worried that it was going to push back or infringe upon their, their God-given Christian right to be a-holes to people that they don't like and assume we're going to hell. Because that's 
what Jesus taught us. But yes, so a lot of it really we boiled down the whole thing with the Equal Rights Act. It was a lot of fear and selfishness, and it was Christianity really not having any idea why it existed anymore. And do you want me to make it even worse? Oh, oh, yes. I'm going to hop in on an article called, uh, John MacArthur is urging his church to stop supporting religious freedom. <laughs> yes, by Relevant Magazine. That's a thing. And no, I did not expect that I was going to be quasi kind of like tangentially somewhat in a space that is eh, quadrilaterally kind of aligned with a little bit of a nugget of what MacArthur's. Yeah, okay. What I'm going to say here is this. Okay. MacArthur is actually coming out saying with COVID and everything else that's shown him one thing is that re religious freedom really isn't something that we need to be pushing for, right? He said this. I told our congregation a few weeks ago that I could never really concern myself with religious freedom. Sorry. And when I'm reading this correctly, because I'm not a person that does uh, what we call impressions very well. So just assume that someone um, that has no soul, that hates it when children laugh, and uh, if he sees someone that he's not sure about, if they've been to his church and listened to his message, when he sees them, he kind of at the same time is wondering, hey, God, would you let them stop breathing just for me? You know, like love of Christ kind of guy, right? Okay, so, but he said this, right? So he continues saying this. He says, I would fight for religious freedom because uh, I wouldn't fight for religious freedom because I won't fight for idolatry. Why would I fight for the devil to have many false religions, as, uh, as many false religions as possible, and all of them be available to everyone? So his version, in his mind, as he continues talking about his version of the gospel, he says this, the gospel offends the sinner and seeks to break the sinner's comfort and contentment by bringing him into stark realization of eternal judgment of God. One, him. <laughs> He's, uh, MacArthur's not too worried about pronouns. Don't worry him with things like that. Um, he says this, evangelicals have become like Peter. They're looking for alliances with Satan that they think somehow can aid the kingdom. <laughs> He's such a cuddly man. Mm. Love of Jesus is not anywhere near this nasty, nasty, nasty old man. But, but, he did get his part right, saying this. The church doesn't need to be comfortable. The church doesn't necessarily need to worry about its own self. The church needs to be concerned about walking out the gospel. Now, his version of the gospel is going out and hating people and telling people they're all going to die and they're going to hell and then kind of laughing about it afterwards. Because, of course, he's got his ticket off the Titanic. That is humanity. No. But what he's getting at here is that the church's job is not to be comfortable. The church's job is not to be easy. This isn't a place for people to go to say, like, oh, I feel so good about where I am with God, and I don't need to do anything else. Woo! Yeah! 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 Woo! I love it. No. He's leaning in on this. I mean, his way of doing it is more like self-flagellation or like, you know, cutting and hurting yourself type of thing. Like, God, are you happy now with my blood? <laughs> I'm really just into s but I don't want to admit it. I'm just going to say this is spiritual practice. <laughs> that kind of a thing. Yeah, the messed up kind of sexual ethic. We won't even get into that with him. But, 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 but his point being the church is not meant to be comfortable. 
And on that, on that small little sliver, I can agree with him. And on that small little sliver, it leads us from talking about last week about uh, the Equality Act to now talking about the Voters' Right Act, the For the People Act. And my point of why am I talking about this on a show that involves faith and religion and talks a lot about Jesus? Well, actually, this is going to have a lot to do about that. So as we begin to talk about this, yes, I'm a show that likes to bash on Christian conservatives and evangelicals a lot. Mainly I do that not just for Fonzies, but really just to be able to say that's a really weird messed up gospel that leads to hurting and hating a lot of people. And that's not Jesus at all. So that's the show's purpose in a nutshell. Um, I mentioned this because this fits very well within that. Now, H.R. 1, for those who may not know this, actually passed the House in 2019, but was never taken up under the Senate under Mitch McConnell. So now in 2021, we're going to be able to see if this is going to be something that can make its way onto the Senate. Now, for us to be able to talk about what is H.R. 1, I thought a good place to start about this was let's hop in from a perspective that's already from the conservative area of the world. Now, not the conservative area as in we believe in MAGA and Trump is our orange fat god that we believe is the god of plenty and Melania. No, not yeah, not that kind of conservative. No, the conservatives that that used to care about moderation and uh, small government and small deficits and all that kind of stuff. Those kind of conservatives. Yeah, yeah. Those guys kind of left the craziness of the Trump train and went to the bulk word, the bulk which is a conservative bent on politics. And I thought, you know what? I have two articles. One is from the liberal leaning website, slate.com. But the first one I'm going to hit into, let's go for the conservative one, because honestly, this conversation should not be partisan. When we talk about voting rights in America, this should not be a partisan act. This should be an act where I've always simply believed this, let people vote. And then you hope that the vote of the people, what the people have chosen is what they have called for, is what they want, whether it be good or bad. Based upon our systems, we got four years of Trump. Now we got four years of Biden. That's kind of how this whole thing works with democracy. Some people get Marjorie Taylor Greene, where other people get AOC. So, you know, we have, there's a spectrum, there's, there's a richness, there's a melting potness towards America, but, 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 the core thing that we need to be about here is people that can vote should be allowed to vote. And that's really the simplest part of this whole entire conversation, especially for people, for people that believe in the gospel, for people that believe in justness and equality. Politics are politics, but we should really just be able to at least let people that are of age and that are citizens vote. It's not hard. It's really not that hard. So the bulk word, they had a, an, it's a great article by Justin Florence and Rachel, Rachel um, Homer called HR1 for Dummies because it does just that. And they do it in a very well and a concise manner. I'm going to hit the highlights of this for you. So speaking from the article here, broadly speaking, HR1 covers three major areas, voting and elections, campaign finance, and ethics. First, it would reduce barriers that keep eligible citizens from registering to vote and then casting their vote. It would set minimum 
uniform standards for elections and provide funding to increase the security of our elections. These reforms have, have a long record of bipartisan support and have already been implemented across many states. Okay, that's, even, that's just the number one part of H.R. 1. The second part of it is this, that it would increase the transparency of spending on elections and campaign ads and strengthen the protections against foreign interference in our campaigns. Again, what are we saying here that's so crazy? Uh, we don't want foreign countries interfering in our elections, and we want to make sure that we're transparent on what's happening, right? Votes, transparency, that's kind of like, you know, democracy. Yeah, that kind of thing. Third is ethics. Um, is requiring increased disclosure of lobbying activities and putting into law ethical guidelines preventing conflicts of interest by staff, appointees, members of Congress, and even presidents. Hmm. Yes. That's what they're laying out here. Those, that is the overall, the overarching idea of what HR1 is. What it's trying to do, it's trying to lay out a a basic low bar standards across the United States for what voting should look like and how it can be free and open. Because, you know, if anyone doesn't remember, we kind of have a very storied past, a very kind of ugly history about not letting people vote in America. I mean, literally, literally, the day I am recording this is International Women's Day. That you're listening to this on terrestrial radio is a day after International Women's Day and so on and so forth. But a big part of International Women's Day, do we know, was getting the right to vote in our country. I'm not saying for international women, but in this country, the idea is that they got the right to vote. Also, we have civil rights movement. We have moved beyond Jim Crow laws. We have allowed people in our country to vote in free and fair elections. This should all just be easy. But we've lost our minds. You've heard this in the first part of the show, hearing all these crazy idiots that have lost their minds about what matters. But no, no. Somehow people believe that if we let citizens that are of age in our country to vote in an election, that somehow it's not going to be fair. Or one side has figured out if they don't, if they don't put their thumb on the scale, if they don't put all this in place, well, then they can win and make sure other people's votes and voices are silenced and they can stay in power. Okay. So let me get back to this. Let me get back to the, the article. Okay. They say this. Currently, uh, each state sets its own procedures for how its residents register and cast their vote. For the People Act creates minimum standards that will apply to each state uh, for how voters register and cast their ballots while still empowering states to run their own elections. Simple enough. Um, it requires states to allow online and same-day voter registration and to strengthen protections against uh, efforts to hinder, deceive, intimidate voters for regis registering or casting their ballots, right? So we want to make sure everyone, we want to make sure everyone can vote. That's supposed to vote. Another example, HR1 restores the right to vote for all felons who have served their sentences and been released from prison. There's currently 5 million people that are disenfranchised voters. And most of those are people of color. So again, putting our thumb on the scales is not the way to go. The act also, from this article, also seeks to reduce uh, wait times at polls. Long wait times can impose undue hardships on voters, making voting physically hard on the elderly. For instance, 
or economically hard for hourly workers without childcare. A bipartisan commission recommends a 30-minute maximum wait time. The United States, not only do many voters wait longer than an hour and a half, lines are longer in polling places in predominantly black neighborhoods, regardless of whether that neighborhood is in a Democratic or Republican-controlled state. HR1 is trying to standardize vote-for-mail procedures and, and, and. What it really does, this, and this, this is the important part, perhaps most critically, HR1 would also end the political party's control over drawing congressional districts, a process which is abused across the country by both Democrats and Republicans, and which herds of tens of millions of Americans into bizarre geographic constructions for the sole purpose of being able to win more races with the same number of votes. Instead, H.R. 1 requires the state to use nonpartisan redistricting commissions to draw these lines in the face of the Supreme Court's decision in 2019 not to stand in the way of extreme partisan redistricting. This provision would help make a state's representation more proportional to the actual outcomes of the elections. And that's only me unpacking the first part of it. The article is excellent, and it continues on to talk about more. And we could spend much more time talking about this, but we don't have time to do that. And that's not our whole point of this conversation. I'm going to hop over to the Slate.com article called Unpacking the Fight Over H.R. 1, the Massive Voting Rights Bill. Okay, Slate. So we went from leans conservative now towards leans liberal. Okay, here is the why this really matters. Here's the why. Okay, so let me go ahead and actually before I hop into the article, the big lie, the big lie is that our last election was stolen. The big lie is what's being perpetuated by a bunch of fringe Republicans that our election was stolen through all sorts of weird subterfuge and QAnon BS, right? That kind of stuff. So why does this matter? Why does a voting bill to be able to kind of create a national standard for, for voter rights matter? It matters because of this, because of what's happening in Georgia right now, quoting here from the Slate article. For example, Georgia, Georgia House Bill 531, which passed in the Georgia General Assembly last week, would add voter ID requirements for absentee ballots, n- limit the number of locations for early voting drop-off boxes, and reduce early voting days during the weekends uh, prior to the election, including allowing just one Sunday to vote early. Georgia allowed no-excuse absentee voting without ID and widespread in-person early voting even before COVID-19. And these reforms are now responses to the pandemic. Um, and they're not intended to be temporary. They're only being rolled back now because a Democrat won the state and Republicans realize they need to change the rules to prevent this from happening again. The Georgia bill also provides that individuals can be charged with a misdemeanor if they hand out food or drinks to voters standing in line on election days, even as it ensures that more voters will be forced to wait in longer lines to cast a ballot. Okay. Okay. So the main idea that what I was going to get from these two articles and why we're even talking about this is this. Is people's voices are being silenced by how the government is handling voting. Now, I'm not talking about this, like, fake silencing. Like, we have, like, oh, the conservatives. We're, like, we're worried about, like, oh, no, cancel culture. It's coming for us. Dr. Seuss. What do we do? Oh, no. And Mr. Potato Hood's not a mister. What am I going to do? Oh, <laughs> with this detachable cock. <laughs> I don't understand Mr. Potato Head anymore. No. No. 
No. It has nothing to do with any of those things. This isn't canceling stuff. What this is, is people in a culture seeing that their views matter more than other people's views and saying, I want to silence you in a democracy. I want to make sure that you don't have a voice at the table, that you don't have a voice, a vote, a vote. And that is dehumanizing. And that is what brings us to Jesus. So in our talk of why Jesus would care about this. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is American, da 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 da, da. No, conceptually, why this would actually really matter to Jesus, because not even talking about Jesus, it's really, really freaking sad that we're in 2021 and we still have this many barriers to voting in America. Have we not learned anything? Yeah, we learn and then we learn how to try to undo the things we learned in America. Oh, America, you're so dumb at times. But we're going to be talking about scripture involving this. And no, <laughs> I, don't have, <laughs> I don't have any scripture about voting rules, but I do have scripture about the kingdom of God and about the way the kingdom of God existed and the way that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and the way that Jesus talked about ethics and the way Jesus talked about what matters. Now, uh, we're going to start, 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 start a scripture in Luke 15. Uh, Luke 15 and we're going to begin here, then we're going to hop away from it, then we'll hop back to it. So, Luke 15 begins like this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around Jesus. End story. So first of all, <laughs> let's look at Jesus. Let's look at what Jesus was up to in here. So it says simply here that he is surrounded by the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? What do the sinners and tax collectors mean? Well, coming from the Jewish New Testament commentary uh, that I'm reading from here, we're referring to in this spot sinners. This term, it was used to refer to prostitutes, thieves, and others of like low reputation whose sins were blatant and obvious, not the kind of establishment that the establishment winked at. And Jesus taught that those who considered themselves not sinners but righteous were actually, in fact, worse because they made themselves unteachable. Okay. So we know who Jesus is chilling with, who he's hanging out with, who he's talking with. All right? Now, let me just restart this again. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. Number two. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Thanks, first century Ted Cruz. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. So one, a lot of packed into that statement right there. A lot of packed into that. But mainly, but mainly, but mainly. Jesus values honesty. The idea of repentance 
is really just being able to see where you were going wrong. And repentance is being able to turn from that and fix it and move in a different direction. Now, we're not talking about this being overly spiritually religious here. We're not talking about being overly like, holy or overly fake Christian. No, 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 no. I mean, really, 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 okay? What we are called to do is to love others well, with dignity, treating them as if they matter. Now, the first sentence we were talking about this, who was Jesus hanging out with? Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, all these people, the lowlifes, yeah? The people that the church of that time totally loved and wanted to reach out to said nobody in the first century. No. These are the people that the church back then was kind of acting like the church that did church does now. Jesus was acting probably like he would today saying, hey, these are the folks that actually really want this. I am here to give them dignity, to give them a voice, to tell them that they matter, to tell them that they matter. Okay? Now, oftentimes, when Jesus talks, he is, in a certain sense, also deconstructing the Old Testament. Because as he begins talking about being a shepherd and telling the story, he's also speaking, in a certain sense, a very jaded term at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law when he says this. Because as Jesus starts talking about the way a good shepherd should be acting, the Pharisees teachers of the law are also going to be hearing, hmm, this sounds a little like Ezekiel 34 that we memorized. And hey, he's using scriptures against us. We don't like that. <laughs> Essentially, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were that also mature. But let me go ahead and give you a taste of Ezekiel 34. The Old Testament, we're moving way, 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 way back before Jesus. Begins like this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of their flock? You eat curds, clothe your sheep, yourselves with their wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bound the injured. You have not brought back strays or searched for the lost. You have ruined them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered on the, all over the earth and no one searched and looked for them. That's the beginning of Ezekiel 34. And what is God throwing down here? What is Jesus even using as he's doing this callback to Ezekiel to them? He's saying, you pastors, you people in the Christian crazy, you folks, whether in my time or our time now, the folks we make fun of, the Robert Jeffress, the, all these other AHL pastors out there, you guys are terrible at taking care of your flocks. You leave them for dead. You don't care about them. You fleece them literally by taking what they have and you give back to them nothing. And that is not a good shepherd. Jesus stung then as much as he stings now to those that are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. But he continues on down in verse 34. 
of Ezekiel uh, 34, verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks for his scattered flock uh, when he is with them, so I will search after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered in the days of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and I will gather them from their countries. I will bring them to their own land. Good shepherds take care of their flocks. Bad shepherds, bad shepherds do not care about their flocks. They devour them. They eat them. Bad leaders do not care about their constituents or their people. And much of what we're seeing here is that God values people. God especially values those that are teachable and not overly religious and pious to where they put their fingers in their ears and can't hear anything anymore. God, the kingdom of God, another parable, which we could talk about another day, is also just viewed as a table that was set for many guests. And there was enough room for everyone to come and sit and partake. The kingdom of God calls to all people. And if anyone out there would be to say that they are a Christian, I would probably say that you also should, should, should support everyone having the right to vote, everyone having a right to have a voice. Because that's the way the kingdom of God works. None better than others. All the same. All beloved. All loved. And all cared for by an all-loving God. And I want to kind of end this conversation on a bit of a weird, <laughs> a bit of a weird quote, but from uh, Mechtid of, of Magdenburg, an old mystic of the church. She says this, There comes a time when both body and soul enter into such a vast darkness that one loses light and consciousness and knows nothing more of God's intimacy. Such a time when light in the lantern burns out the beauty of the lantern and can no longer be seen. With longing and distress, we are reminded of our nothingness. Let us not be a people that embrace darkness and nothingness. Let's not be a people that stay in that dark night of a soul that say nothing matters, only myself. But let's realize that our ability to give light and hope and voice to others matters. And it matters beyond what you can understand and know. The more that we are called to be like Jesus, the more it looks like us lifting other people up, dusting them off, and helping them to be successful to feel like they matter, to feel like they are a child of God. That is our call, and that is sacred. So before I send you off, just a reminder to share this show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a Renew over on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the word out to new listeners. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can always hit me up, questions at snarkyfaith.com. I always answer my emails. Thank you for being a part of this show week after week, and I appreciate you. And now I do as I, I do every week here in our space. I release you out into the wild, wide world, and I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. 
May you be the person that is the light in the darkness to others that have given up the ability to hope and to have faith and to see their own worth. May you be that person that can be a reflection to show them that they are in fact, they are in fact a vision of the Almighty God made in God's image beautifully and wonderfully. Well, that's all I got this hour. I'm out of here. Catch you guys again next time. Peace. snarky brown noser staying after class trying to get extra bonus points no you're not really you just want a little more crazy just a little taste of the good stuff all right all right all right here's something that we didn't get to earlier and anyone knows hey kuneman Oh, Hank's one of my faves. Hank's one of my, my crazy bays because Hank is off his rocker. And he's also a prophet that is doubling down hard. It's so hard. Like porno hard after his prophecies didn't prophesy out the way they're supposed to. But hey, don't you forget that Hank wasn't wrong. It's you were wrong in how you saw it and interpreted it. Ha ha! Ha ha ha! It's just the kind of BS they do. Because remember, just like an alcoholic abusive parent, the prophets are always right. As long as you can get them out of the room and not abusing you. Because, you know, Kuneman Ears is going to go ahead and tell you that, like, well, you know, <laughs> we don't have to pray for Biden because cause loophole, Christian loophole. <laughs> Suck on it, Jesus. I don't have to do it. Ah, here it is. Enjoy. Have a great week, too. Pray for those that are in authority. If But here's the thing. He's not in authority because how he got there was done through what our Constitution said is treason. Oh, snap. Oh, <laughs> snap.